We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Welcome to the Budding Heads podcast from Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro, and back with me is Johnny Gomez. Johnny, the Rams just won their first playoff victory since January 8th, 2005 against the Seattle Seahawks. How do you feel? I feel like I could have not heard that statistic and feel a lot better about my team. <laughs> but but uh, putting that aside, it was a wonderful feeling. Um, seeing how, how the Rams were able to control this game throughout. And we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, a bit later. But, yeah, I'm still on, on the high. I, I get congratulated like as if I as if I was the one that won the game. Uh, I'm getting high fives in the, in, in the workroom. But you know what? Um, even though it wasn't me, I, I'd like to say that you and I had a big, a big way of contributing to this game. What do you think, Steve? I think we did, man. All the love and support we've given to this 
quite frankly, garbage franchise for a long period of time until they turned it back around. Uh, we've earned this, man. We've earned this. And it was nice. I mentioned on the podcast last week, it was Ribeiro Bowl in my house. My brother was is a Cowboys fan. We watched the game together. He stressed out the whole time. I had a nice little easy breezy game. And actually in the Rams talk room, uh, this guy's name was Kevin Graham, said he also had his bowl going on with his brother and dad like the Cowboys and we got the win there so shout out to him shout out to us Johnny we deserve this man it's been a long time coming for the Rams without a doubt I I too had somewhat of a ball maybe a little bit of a dangerous one because uh I was at a bar and uh I don't know I don't know if you know about uh Dave and Buster's I is that a thing outside of California? Yeah, dude. Dave and Buster's. Come on. I, I'm just, I'm just curious because <laughs> I, I've, I've assumed a couple of times when people are like, "What the hell are you talking about?" So yeah, Dave and Buster's. I went to a local one in in uh, SoCal, and yeah, I would say it was about even with uh, Ram fans and Cowboy fans. And each time anybody did anything mildly successful. There was a lot of shit talking, and I, I loved it. I loved every second of it, and uh, I loved waving bye to uh, all all the Cowboy fans, you know, once they knew that they lost the game. So kudos to the Rams because they made my weekend, and hopefully they'll continue to do that for the next couple of weekends. I hope so, man, and uh, we'll talk about this a little bit, obviously, on the podcast if they're we're going to talk about this a lot. I don't know why I said a little bit about if the Rams are going to continue this. But before we get into everything, guys, we you know where to find us by now, I hope so, because we say it on every one of our shows. But if you don't, follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, and Spotify. And, of course, check out the other podcasts, Rams Talk Radio with Derek Ciappala and Norm Hightower and a couple – guests here and there myself sometimes if you listen to the podcast last week i think i was on like four of them so thank you guys for bearing with me and of course rampage radio which i believe will be returning this week so look out for that as well all right so as we mentioned first playoff victory since 2005 the rams defeated the dallas cowboys at home back in the coliseum 30 to 22 it was the rams first playoff win in the coliseum in quite some time Johnny so it's obviously very happy that we had that but what we want to start with and me and Johnny were talking about this before the show the Rams running back splits in this game and I think that we can both agree the key to this victory and everyone will agree is the fact that the Rams just pounded the rock right up into the face of that talented Dallas linebacking core two running backs over 100 yards now Johnny actually brought this up in our you know pre-show discussion he wanted to know when the last time the Rams had two 100-yard rushers in the same game is. And it was a while, man. The last time, and you accurately predicted this, it was November 11, 2001. You want to tell us who it was? So after considering this, it it, it was kind of a ballpark guess. But I actually told Steve that I think it was Marshall Falk. And you might remember this guy. A long time ago, we all remember Marshall Falk, of course. But how about Trung Candidate? Do we remember this guy? How can you not? The Rams spent first-round pick on a running back 
coming off of Marshall Falk's MVP season or or on the heels of it. It was after the Super Bowl and they decided to spend their first round pick on a running back, which, you know, as a kid kind of baffled me. And now it baffles me even more. But yet, you know what? Trunk candidate and Marshall Falk in the same game. Falk had 15 rushes for 183 yards and two touchdowns. Trunk Canada had 145 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown, which is pretty crazy. The only other times this has happened since 1980, you got to go back before that. 1996, Lawrence Phillips and Harold Green. 1983, the last time before that, and that was Eric Dickerson and Barry Redden. And that's actually it. Those are the only three times that this has happened since 1980. And of course, C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley doing this together. They're the first pair of playoff running backs since 1997 when Denver's Terrell Davis and Derek Lowville each topped 100 yards in a playoff game against Jacksonville. Now, what we do need to point out, too, is the splits between these running backs. Now, a lot of people think that Todd Gurley's not 100%, and I think that might be accurate. But I don't think just because Anderson carried the ball, that necessarily means that Todd Gurley is not 100%. And I know Derek, this is something Derek was harping on on his show. But you look at the splits and the snap counts. Todd Gurley played 45 snaps. CJ Anderson played 34. Gurley carried the ball 16 times for 115 yards and a touchdown. Also had two, two receptions for minimal yards. Meanwhile, Anderson on his 34 snaps carried the ball 23 times for 123 yards and two touchdowns. So... I mean, this was an incredible performance by these two. I think it was a lot closer in usage than we thought it would be. But, I mean, how do you feel about how this running back duo played and if they could keep this up throughout the playoffs? This is exactly what I was hoping for. And I think, uh, as most of us were hoping for, you know, admittedly, C.J. Anderson was somewhat of a surprise. But seeing what he was capable of in the past few games – it was nice to see that they were able to use him in this way, in this manner. And on top of that, you know, a lot of people are associating the Cowboys with kind of being the easier opponent. Well, no, they're not. You know, the the Cowboys are actually uh, have an underrated defense, particularly in their linebacking core. They, they do extremely well. Um, and then, you know, handing the ball off to Anderson – like that and he was he was very dominant and and it showed you know he he had a he had one hell of a game and then on top of that you know Gurley was had 16 carries on him on his own account and i i don't think i don't think really there's uh there's any discrepancy in in terms of health for Todd Gurley it's just you're you're talking about having this nice duo and having that bruiser in in uh in in cj anderson so when you're talking about giving the todd Todd Gurley at the right opportune moment you know it showed in certain parts of the game particularly on todd Gurley's touchdown i think they were just kind of you know wondering if they were going to actually give Gurley the ball and when they did you know Gurley made them pay for it so that's exactly what the Rams needed. They needed that extra threat. And it, it actually took a lot uh, a big load off of uh, Jared Goff as well. You know, we, we forget that Jared Goff um, had it had performed a lot better than in previous weeks. It may not have shown in the stat column. He's had, you know, much better games in the stat column. But 
he didn't re- he didn't really need to pass that often and when he did he made it count and that's what CJ Anderson brings to this team and I think this is gonna this is gonna help later on down the road yeah this was just an incredible performance by these two players and they complement each other very well I mean Todd Gurley he can kind of do everything on the field but when you can get another guy in there that can just bruise between the tackles and also and this is something I, I mentioned on the show before can pass protect really well so even when he's in there and the defense suspects they're probably just going to run him between the tackles the threat to pass the ball is still there because he can protect Jared Goff well in the backfield more than you know say even a guy like Malcolm Brown could have or other guys that are kind of the change of pace backs are kind of you think they're one-dimensional and I mean Anderson he's not gonna be flying out of the backfield for a lot of screen passes or you know wheel routes or anything like that but you can throw the ball honestly when he's in the game because he can block and when the one thing that I thought you know from a fantasy perspective thing about how Tucker would do in touchdowns for playoff players now I thought Anderson would actually come in and vulture a couple of those and he did obviously the most notably was the fourth and one call which we're gonna get to in a little bit but yeah, man. I mean, these two guys just worked so well together. And even if Gurley wasn't 100% and they were just easing him in a little bit, I don't care. I think you got to play both of these guys kind of like you did in this game and just let them lose, especially given how Jared Goff has played since the bye week. If you have the benefit of these two running backs just kind of being able to torch defense, then I mean, Anderson did it three games in a row now. We. I don't know if we all were, but I wasn't sure personally because those first two games were against bad teams, and he diced them up, but still. Now we've seen him do it against a good run defense. Now, next week, he's going to have to do it against a great run defense. The second-best run defense in the league, only three yards worse than Chicago was. So they they average 80 yards a game rushing-wise, which is, like I said, second-best in the league. Do you think this duo can sustain this kind of success? or even like a semblance of the success against New Orleans next week? It depends on how you look at it. Like if you're going into this game expecting both Gurley and Anderson to be over 100 yards, I think you're going to be severely disappointed just because, I mean, the Saints run defense is just elite. There's no other word for it other than that. And I, I think it's entirely possible that at least one of these guys can do can do uh you know at least fairly decent but to expect both of them i would say no i I will say that i do expect one of these guys to shine in this game because of the addition of cj anderson this does bring an added dimension to this team it really really does and i think the saints are going to struggle trying to figure out you know when they're going to run the ball when they're going to pass the ball. And that's that's exactly what they did in the previous game. They basically challenged the Rams to pass the ball. And when they did, especially early, uh, you know, in the first half, you know, they, they totally went their way. You know, Goff kind of looked lost out there in the first half. They started implementing more more runs with Todd Gurley in the second half, and it and it started to change up a little bit. But now we have this added dimension with Anderson, and I think that this is going to really throw off the defensive scheme of the Saints. Again, totally not expecting the same success, but I am expecting a much better game than what we saw in, uh, you know, Week Nine. 
the Saints' pass defense is one of the worst in the league statistically. So you got to hope that the Rams are able to open up a little bit with Jared Goff. But yeah, I I do think that this run unit can be successful against the Saints. Not to the extent that they were against the Cowboys last week, but look, man, you never know. The Cowboys had the fifth best run defense in the league this year, and the Rams made them look like the worst run defense in the league. The Saints, we had two 100-yard rushes in this game. The Saints have only allowed, as a team, 100 yards rushing four times. One of them was in Week 17 against Carolina, a game that they threw away, so it doesn't really count. You take that game out, one game against Cincinnati, they gave 110 yards on the ground, a game where they won 51-14. to the other two times were against Tampa Bay, which every time we talk about the Saints and this freaking stat comes up, man, I do not understand how they did this twice as a team against the Saints. I mean, and I don't mean to get too off topic here, but the the Bucks' run rushing offense was not very good. And that for them to be the best team against the Saints on the run this year just – is mind blowing to me, but I don't yeah. even think the Bucks realize how that happened. <laughs> it makes no sense. And in the first game, they threw for like 500 yards against him, uh, 417 to be exact. My apologies to Fitz Magic, but like mind mind blowing, man. But this is an incredible run defense, and if the Rams can control the game on the ground on offense, I really truthfully think that it's going to be a much easier game to win than we'd anticipated. Now, I think it's going to be tough to do that, and obviously there's a lot to talk about in this game, but that's that's obviously going to be the matchup to watch after this game is the Rams rushing offense versus the Saints rushing defense. Two of the best units in the league. Uh, I mean, after last week, how can you not say that? The revitalization of C.J. Anderson, who, as we mentioned 700 times in the broadcast, got caught by two teams this year. So <laughs> that's, that's going to be something to watch. But speaking of C.J. Anderson, touchdowns Johnny and we haven't talked about this at all so I don't know what your take on this is but there was a play that has kind of I maybe it divided some people I don't know it 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 was interesting to me and I think we need to talk about it because we talked about a similar situation a lot in the Saints Rams game from a while back Rams deep into the fourth quarter they got a fourth and one on their own one, so fourth and goal. They need that one yard to punch it in the end zone. 7.20 left on the clock. A field goal makes it a two-possession game. And they chose to go for it, and it worked. Kudos to them. C.J. Anderson gutted that in for a nice one-yard touchdown. The Rams take a 30-16 to lead. Um, was it? Oh, 30-15. to uh, Obviously, the Cowboys score later on, make it a eight-point game. Uh, we get the ball back. We don't let up. So, Ultimately, whether they kicked a field goal or a touchdown here, I don't know how it affected the game. But, I mean, how did you feel about this call when you saw the offense trot onto the field? And then, obviously, how did you feel after they scored? I, I think that because uh, you, you're, you're talking about a game to basic uh, a play to seal the game. And I think that's exactly what McVay was, was aiming for, was to, to seal the game right then and there. And it basically was. Yeah, the the Cowboys scored on the and on the next drive, but uh, to be honest, they're uh, yeah they could have scored again, but no, it, it was kind of too late. You know, it, it really was. Nobody, including Cowboy fans, were thinking that the Cowboys had a real significant chance of winning this ball game. 
So for for McVeigh, that's kind of what he was going at was trying to seal the game uh, for sure. And yeah, the the field goal would have made it a two possession ball game too, but uh, the confidence level I feel like would have been much better with the touchdown, and I think it was the case. And it, it also kind of brings me up to uh, they had a I think it was a fourth and two on the first field goal of the game. And I, I was kind of disappointed that uh, that McVeigh opted not to go for it on a fourth and two and settle for the field goal. Uh, fourth and three from of, seven was uh, the field goal you're talking about. Yeah, and, and on, on top of that, like, I could kind of understand now in retrospect because it was the beginning of the game. They didn't want to, you know, have any lack of confidence and on – on top of that, too, like they wanted to get a better feel of what they could and couldn't get away with. And I think at this point, McVeigh kind of already figured that C.J. Anderson had been dominating the whole game, that he can go ahead and do this and there wouldn't have been any repercussions, and there wasn't. So kudos to McVeigh for that call. Is this You mentioned the field goals earlier. This could have been a 28-7 game quickly. The Rams got deep into Cowboys territory twice and ended up settling for field goals and so kudos to Dallas defense on that I mean for all the bad things they did the red zone defense was actually pretty decent and this play obviously they hold them to a fourth and one and just a gutsy call by Sean McVay pays off this I've been going back and forth on this when I saw the Rams offense trot out I wasn't thrilled honestly I think you take the points to make it a two possession game now looking at how the rest of the game turned out on the next drive, there were two moments where this directly mattered. The first was fourth and one from the Rams to 42. I think the Cowboys still go for it on that instead of taking um, a 59-yard field goal. I, I don't think they take that. I think they go for it on fourth and one. Later on in the drive, 253 left, fourth and three. If it's a 11-point game, you take the field goal there every time. And so this call actually ended up directly it ended up yeah putting the game out of reach so to say even though um you know the Cowboys had a chance to get the ball back later on but this <sighs> man so when the Saints game happened we talked about that fake field goal pretty intensely and I said look you got to put the points on the board uh take the 3 cuz it's going to be a game where you're fighting for those points this one I don't know I I I think I'm just this is kind of a cop out answer, but I think I'm just gonna go with what McVay wants on this. This is who he is. He's an aggressive coach. He's gonna make aggressive calls like this. He's been doing it all year. We've talked about it extensively. Sometimes I would have liked him to be a little more conservative, but it's fourth and one. CJ Anderson is pounding the rock all game. I get it. If you don't get it, the Cowboys have the ball on the one yard line. They gotta go ninety nine yards to get any points on the board. So I guess Looking back on it, it might have been the right call, but when when I saw the offense starting out there, I got very nervous. But I think that's just all my years of being a Rams fan, man. It's just it's getting to me, you know. <laughs> I'm only 25, but I think in football stress years, I'm about 60. Uh, given what I've watched for the last 20 years, man, I don't know. I I just trust McVay, and this is this he got here on calls like this. And I understand people who think it wasn't the right call. I don't even know if I think it was the right call. 
but obviously it ended up paying off and I guess with the benefit of hindsight you got to be glad he went for this yeah without a doubt you you have a you have a guy that that knows what what he has on his team he has all the confidence in the world in them and and you know that's the kind of guy that you want running this team and and that that's exactly what the Rams haven't had in quite a long time uh you know uh, go adding to back to your uh stress comment you know your 60 year old stress comment it's because we've seen coaches like the Jeff Fishers like you know there's just too many coaches to name really and and to tell you the truth, to finally see a coach that knows what he's doing and has all the confidence in the world in them, that's what makes the difference between a contender and a pretender. Yeah, I think, yeah, man, it's it's nice to see an aggressive play calling like this and that we really only got on fake punts during the Fisher era, and I think that's more credit to John Fossil, clearly, because we're still doing that. I think the coaches have built up a trust with a guy like that. But it's it's definitely refreshing to have this kind of coach in as every other team pretty much has shown during the coaching hire season. Everyone is trying to get this kind of guy. So we're truly blessed with our boy, Sean McVay. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to continue to talk about some of the stuff that happened in this game and how it's going to relate to our matchup next week, or this week, I should say, with the Saints. But before we do, guys, most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Rams, about their history with a bit of a personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. This book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman from the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Fame famers. Guys like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s L.A. Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at HollywoodSteam.com and on Twitter at HollywoodSteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic form from Amazon and Barnes & Noble and probably through various other booksellers on the internet that you're getting your books from. Guys, this book is worth every penny for any Rams fan out there, but it's also just a fantastic story about a person's father and the legacy left behind. We keep talking about this book, guys, because it's an excellent read for any Rams fan, and if you haven't gotten it yet, you're going to want to check it out. Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It is well worth your time. All right, Johnny. This week, one thing that I think surprised a lot of people is we've we got a couple vets on this team that haven't been great this year that we've kind of called out, especially in recent weeks, but a couple huge players in this game Guys like John Sullivan, Andrew Whitworth, and Dominican Sue, uh, even Michael Brockers to an extent, even though he's not the vet that these guys are. These guys played phenomenal football games. And obviously, in the biggest standout was Sue, who just was in the, a monster in the run defense. I think personally, there's a chance that these guys were just waiting for the moment. You know, they knew after that bye week, we're 11 and 1. It's like, all right, we got to make sure we're ready for the playoffs. I don't know if that's true, but judging by the burst and the just the overall great play we saw to Sully and Witt, and then on the other side, Dominican Sue just dominating in a way, uh, looking like the guy that we thought we were going to get when we paid him $14 million. These guys playing like this, do you expect this to continue throughout the playoffs? To an extent, I, I kind of agree with the thought process of, you know, not not saying that they weren't playing, you know, in the, the last couple of weeks, but I will say... 
I think that there's something about the playoffs that, you know, makes these veterans come alive, like even more kind of gives them that extra pep in their step, the gives them more uh, adrenaline. And I think that was kind of it. They were kind of on that adrenaline high and, and it showed really, especially, you know, I know Sue will get a lot of the bulk of the credit because, uh, you know, that's a stat driven position somewhat now, uh, as opposed to an offensive lineman like Sullivan and Witt. But, um, you know, with Whitworth, he looked like, you know, his old self out there. He looked like the player that we had seen, um, you know, from week one through week seven, you know, where he was just dominating out there. And, you know, Sullivan, who, you know, this this is a guy that's that's really racked up the miles there. You know, he's kind of that older, you know, re- the old reliable car, you know, that old Honda that just won't die. And that's basically what what John Sullivan is. And now he kind of, you know, for some reason, you know, I don't know, he, you know, he got his oil changed or whatever. And he he's just, you know, performing like he's brand new. Like this, this is a different Sullivan than I saw all season. And maybe uh, maybe I might be over exaggerating a little bit. But I, you know, he was flawless uh, that I saw. You know, not too many times uh, Goff got pressured. There might have been a time or two, but you know, they they were pretty much perfect all game. You know, Goff the little time he he did throw, you know, there was no problems, you know, whatsoever. Um, and in terms of Sue, you know, this guy, I don't know where this guy had been all season, to be honest. Uh, to be fair, there were games where Sue looked pretty dominant out there, but in this game in particular, he looked like the guy that we signed up for. He looked like that guy that was supposed to be standing opposite end of Aaron Donald, and that's exactly what happened. You know, everyone, of course, was going to double and triple team Aaron Donald. Well, Sue took advantage of that and you know, Dallas learned very quickly that, okay, maybe we do have to send some extra help for Sue because Dak was running all over the place because he didn't have anywhere to throw. And that was kind of one of the reasoning for for Dak struggling in this game. Now, he had some good throws in there, and we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But um, a part of the reason why Dak was constantly on the run was because of the defensive line particularly Sue becoming back to life. Yeah, it, the fact that Sue is finally earning that money and, you know, one thing we talked about with him, and I think we've been a little too harsh on Sue at times, uh, not me. I think I've said this multiple times in the podcast, but a lot of other people in the fan base have been kind of just calling out how much of a waste of money he is, and I don't think that's true. But he doesn't play like this all year. I mean, he's had some decent games, but – Never like this. And I think the biggest knock on him really all season was that you're playing with Aaron Donald, who is double teamed almost every play and still getting 21 sacks, even triple teamed at times. You and and Brockers, to a lesser extent, aren't making plays that you should be when a guy like that is taking up so much attention from the defensive line. I mean, you're never getting double teamed. 
Sue, I don't think, has ever been in a position in his career where he just never sees double teams until this year. He wasn't taking as much advantage of it as we would have liked. And finally, we get that this game, which means, you know, going forward, maybe defenses are going to have to pay a little more mind in Armageddon Sue and a little less mind to Aaron Donald, which obviously will benefit Donald greatly because the man can get through double teams like it's nothing at times. So it is great to finally, finally have an Adamican Sue on this team in a way, so to say. And Sullivan, man, I mean, I think he's probably been one of the worst starters on the team all year. Uh, not that that's a huge knock. We have a lot of good starters, but it's nice to be confident about him uh, leading the offensive line going into a very important playoff game. So uh, to me, man, it was just, it was great to see these guys kind of come alive when the moment was big. Andrew Whitworth, shout out to him getting his first playoff victory after a long, long career and a lot of appearances in Cincinnati. So we're proud of him. Uh, we're happy for these guys, and I hope they keep playing like this going forward. Another veteran that I didn't loop into this group because he had a different season was Aqib Tlaib, who to me, he had a very solid game, uh, kind of took care of Amari Cooper. Obviously, he had the one big touchdown, but for whatever reason, Marcus Joyner ended up on him. But Tlaib, he really impressed me. In you know, he made a lot of tackles, a surprising amount of tackles for a cornerback, and they were all big moment tackles. Uh, for a veteran cornerback making those kind of tackles, I was proud of him. But I'm bringing up the secondary here, Johnny, because there's a bigger issue. Okay, when we played the Saints way back, I what was it, Week Nine? What was a while ago? Um, Michael Thomas absolutely destroyed us, and Tlaib obviously wasn't there. But Michael Thomas going up against Marcus Peters for the majority of the game, 12 receptions for 211 yards and a touchdown, uh, a big 72-yard touch, touchdown reception. But even if you take that away, he still had his way with us the entire game. Now, we have Tlaib back, and Tlaib is probably going to be the guy shadow covering him. But we just played against a similar receiving core where there's one alpha dog and then some not-so-great receivers around him. And Marcus Peters got the matchup with Michael Gallup for the most of the game and really was not good and I think I've been kind of a Peters apologist for a lot of the season but he was absolutely awful in this game uh the clear weak link I think for if we were to pick a Rams player in this game was Peters kind of got beat up by a rookie who has underperformed all year uh LaMarcus Joyner he got put up put into some big moments and also got cooked but the reason I'm dropping all this knowledge or whatever is because Johnny I want to know how confident are you about this secondary going up against the Saints receiving core this week? And is there things in this game, positive and negative, that make you feel better or worse about this? Without a doubt, it's going to be one of the things to look out for. You know, Michael Thomas, as you mentioned, did scorch, um, you know, Marcus Peters. And to tell you the truth, it, it I don't know if it was more of a testament to Michael Thomas's skill, which certainly we all know that Michael Thomas is one of the best wide receivers in the game, not just, you know, in, in the NFC, but in the entire game. So now being matched up with the uh, keep to leave, I'm kind of interested in how that's going to happen. Uh, as far as Peters is concerned, it wasn't one of his better games without a doubt. And I think part of it was because I think he kind of felt conflicted on whether or not he should, you know, try and stick closer 
to the receiver or try to, you know, be more available to to get, you know, uh, a pick after being, uh, you know, after Dak was hit a couple of times. And that's not obviously how you want to play play the game. I think he was playing a little bit selfish football in this game. You know, and that's kind of one of the things that was kind of the negative with with Peters is he's always been kind of known for an all or nothing kind of uh, um, corner. And and uh, and we kind of saw that in this game. We basically got nothing from him. And, you know, in all fairness, there was a couple of plays that didn't necessarily blame Peters. I blame Lamarcus Joyner, which you brought up as well. Because there was a couple of times Joyner was just out of place. I don't know where he was, but he certainly wasn't uh, guarding the backfield nearly as much as he should have been. You know, he he uh, he allowed a key touchdown to Amari Cooper, um, or was it Cooper? I I'm actually had a brain fart there for a second. Joyner allowed the one to Cooper, and uh, I don't. I don't know if it was a touchdown or just a big play uh, that Gallup caught. I, I think uh, Joyner ended up getting him down at the one. But uh, he somehow got matched up onto Amari Cooper in the slot on the first touchdown after the Marcus Peters penalty and just got torched. But it's not totally his matchup, but still, it's not a good sign. And then later on in the game, uh, Gallup had that big 44-yard reception it ended up being LaMarcus Joyner on him, but that was more of a uh, brain fart by Marcus Peters if you watch the play, but it, it ended up being Joyner's. So, I mean, both of those guys were directly involved in that play, and it, was, it wasn't a great play for either of them. Yeah, in, in terms of Joyner, though, uh, I kind of blame him a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to make any excuses for Peters. He He did not have a great game at all. But in terms of Joyner, this is a guy that's supposed to be one of your last line of defenses. He had, you know, he's a guy that we had all kinds of confidence coming into this year. And he's he struggled quite a few times this year. And he's kind of the weak link in the safety for sure. So I'm, I'm a, a little bit concerned about Joyner coming into this game because now you're talking about you know, uh, Michael Thomas, who, in my opinion, is significantly a better wide receiver and not just even Michael Thomas. You know, you throw in any wide receiver back there. You have one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the league there with Drew Brees. And that's where it becomes a concern because anyone could become a target for this guy. And we've seen it. You know, we've seen, you know, rookies in there, you know, causing mayhem. Because Drew Brees is just throwing, you know, the most well-placed footballs in the league. So, um, you know, you, you, Matt, the matchup here is not necessarily receiver. It's 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 Brees, you know, because at that point, it doesn't matter who who's out there. Steve, you can go out there and be matched up with Drew Brees. If, if he sees you, he's going to hit you. So, <laughs> At yeah, this point, I'm Marcus sure. Peters might lose me out there, even though I'm running uh... – <laughs> Probably, I could probably run a six-second 40-yard dash at this point, maybe. That might even be generous. I don't even, I don't even know if I could get it under six. It's been a while. 
but but yeah that i mean i'm more i'm more concerned uh, if i'm going to be 100 percent honest i'm more concerned about joiner at this point because he he needs to be that last line of defense and he wasn't he really wasn't in this game and thankfully you know the rams had the cowboys under control uh offense uh, at least from the defensive standpoint for most of the game it was just you know a couple of times where they weren't and that's when we needed guys like Joyner and Peters to step up. But again, I, I got to go with Joyner being the biggest concern on this one. Thank God that Lesney didn't extend Joyner or Peters this summer, huh? I mean, Jesus Christ, man! Can you imagine if we had one of those guys in the book for serious long-term money right now? I would, I would not feel good. This is what is scaring me going into this game. I don't think Michael Thomas is going to have 211 yards again. I don't think he can. Against the key to leave, I mean, I could see him going for like a nice 110 against to leave, but you know, he went for 171 last week against a decimated Eagles secondary. You look at the rest of the guys in that passing game, Breeze for 301 yards. You got Ted Ginn going for 44 yards. Kirkwood, Keith Kirkwood had two receptions for eight yards and a touchdown. Um, Traquan Smith, one reception for 15 yards. Uh, the tight ends had a couple grabs in there. Kamar, obviously. If we if we lose this game because Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara tear us apart, I mean, it is what it is, really. Those are two of the best players in the league. But if we lose this game, Johnny, because Marcus Peters and LaMarcus Joyner and Nikel Roby Coleman get burned by Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith and Keith Kirkwood in the NFC Championship, that's why we lose I will be enraged, and that should not happen, and this shouldn't be a concern. I We've talked about Peters and how he's kind of gone under the radar playing well since Tlaib came back, but here we are getting destroyed by Michael Gallup, who did not have a good season. One of the bigger draft you know, disappointments, the team had to go out and trade a first-round pick after they spent the first-round pick or a second-round pick on a receiver to go get Amari Cooper and turn that offense around. I I cannot handle if those guys are the reason we lose the game because they can't contain this, quite frankly, not good crop of receivers past Michael Thomas that the team has. I mean, if it's Michael Thomas and Kamara just destroying us in the past game, whatever, man. It sucks, but those are studs, and those are guys that have given us problems in the past. But I don't know. I, I won't be able to handle it if it's the other way around. Well, to add to that a little bit, and and I think this will this may or may not ease your your concerns here. One of the things about Marcus Peters is this is a game that I feel like he's going to be zoned in on. Gumbo oh, Bowl, dude, he's ready to get that yeah, gumbo with Sean go. Payton. Yeah, absolutely. I I really think that Peters is going to be zoned in on this game, and I think he'll absolutely refuse. To have a bad game, not to say that he won't have, you know, a few mishaps here and there, because, again, at the end of the day, this is Drew Brees who we're talking about. And sometimes it doesn't matter who you are. If he's going to give you put you right in the numbers, you know, it happens, you know. But, you know, as far as Peters is concerned, this is kind of why I'm not. okay. let me rephrase that. I'm not as concerned with Marcus Peters as I am with the Marcus Joyner, because I like, I like players that play with that tenacity, 
play with that chip on their shoulder because that ends up being the drive, the fuel they need to perform, you know, extremely well. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're all praising Marcus Peters after this week because I I could see him being that guy. I could see him being that elite corner that we all remembered simply because he's playing with that much passion. And that's what I think we've been waiting to see. He's an emotional player, man. Oh, without a doubt. And uh, maybe I'm reading too much into that. Maybe, uh, maybe he'll just make an ass out of himself. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It's, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, my man Peters, I guess. Actually, no, I'm not. I, I, you actually just kind of swayed me on that. Uh, it made yes. me a little more optimistic. I'm not going to lie because I wasn't a minute ago. It's his gumbo bull. Uh, he had some strong words about Sean Payton after that loss, and that's that's a great point. You know, Maybe he will be locked in in zone, and I hope so because if we lose the game because he can't cover Traquan Smith, that'll be one of the more angering Rams losses we could have now uh, before we get to our friends at the Golden Ram uh, let's just get this out of the way because we I kind of alluded to it Alvin Kamara is one of the most talented offensive players in the NFL and in his two career games against the Rams he's had 304 total yards and five touchdowns he really dominated us last year in the win this year he also kind of dominated us, but it went a little bit under the radar because of how much Michael Thomas dominated us. Uh, it was really, in our matchup against them, uh, just kind of a, a two-man show between Kamara and Thomas. But do you have any hope that all that we could stop Kamara in this game? Oh, that's such a heavy question. So do I think that the Rams can stop Kamara. Um, no. Point blank. I I don't think that the Rams have the answer, especially with this lo- young linebacking core. I don't believe that they have the an- answer to completely stop him. That being said, I do believe that, you know, Wade Phillips has that kind of mindset, that playoff mindset that may just, help us because if we go back to this previous playoff game you know Zeke didn't have that big of a game either you know he had his moments of course but Ezekiel Elliott really didn't have that great of a game and certainly not one that anyone expected and you know I would I'd go as far as to say that I find Ezekiel Elliott, the better running back of the two. No question. No question. But they're a lot different. They're different styles of running back. Zeke, as versatile as he is, he's more of a between-the-tackles guy in terms of running the ball. And that's when it came down to, you know, Sue and Donald having hell of the games there. With Kamara, it's going to be – he's going to be more going on the outsides and kind of getting the ball in the passing game. This – Heyman's going to be more on our outside linebackers and – when he's in the past, probably the inside linebackers and the safeties, like you said. So um, it could continue, but I just want to point out it's, they're a little bit different animals, and you feel a little better with what they did against Zeke. But I, I think it's it's still to me it's concerning. Um, but I also, you know, Zeke makes us feel better. That performance made us feel a lot better. But uh, 
I think that even if Kamara has a big game, if we do everything else right, we'll still be able to win. We did it last year. But uh, even with how the defense played last week, I don't know, man. This is he's a tough he's a tough matchup for us and we've never matched up well against guys like him. Um, that's why I said I don't think we necessarily have that answer for for Kamara. But I I do think that we will stop him a little bit more than we did in the first couple of meetings with him. And not that's not saying much. I, I could still see this guy, you know, get over 100 yards, but maybe not have as much of a dominant performance. And it, it's going to make a big difference. It really will. But that's kind of the thing, too, is Sean Payton is just as every bit of an aggressive coach as Sean McVay is. And I don't see him like relying completely on Kamara. And to tell you the truth, I feel like had he relied on Kamara as much as he should have in the first meeting, I feel like that this could have been a much more dominant game for, for the, for the saints. So I think maybe ego might, might come into play there too. It's going to be an interesting thing to see how Sean Payton reacts as well uh, and tries to remaneuver his offense around against the Rams' defense. I think now that they've already played, we can expect uh, Payton to make some adjustments as well too. He does, for whatever reason, occasionally have a reluctance to give Kamara the ball, which I guess we've experienced too because uh, we, we talk about it with, some of our other guy, like when Todd Gurley's rolling and Sean McVay just kind of stops giving him the ball for whatever reason. Uh, these coaches sometimes just like to stick stick to their guns, and sometimes it doesn't pay off. But yeah, Kamara is frightening. He, the Rams, you know, I thought when we went into the Bears game that Tariq Cohn was going to be the guy that torched us because they're you know, somewhat similar in style players, but. Obviously, it ended up being Jordan Howard through the tackles, and it looks like we shored that up at least. So we'll see. We'll see. If if they build their game plan around Kamara, it will not go well for us. But luckily, they've kind of been reluctant to do that since they've drafted him. But we're going to talk about more about the Saints in this upcoming NFC match, championship match. But before we do, let's give another shout-out to another one of our sponsors, and that is, of course, our friend Sal Martinez at the Golden Ramp Barbershop. Uh, Sal came on the Rams Talk Pod last week. If you haven't heard of, heard it uh, with Derek and Norm and Norm's son, it was a, a great episode. Uh, check back in the last week on Rams Talk Radio. I think it was called All in the Family or something like that. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and you like that old school barbershop experience, check out Sal's shop, the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine of the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. He's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS. Again, 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK. You know, we sent you, and you're going to get a discount on an already affordable haircut. And he knows that he's getting just a real intelligent, tuned-in Rams fan. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sunday, guys, you know where Sal be. We on the couch like the rest of us. 
watching the Rams. Hopefully punch their take for the Super Bowl. One more time, you can give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. This is just Sal Shop is worth it. Not only just to enjoy all the Rams memorabilia, but Sal also provides that old school classic barbershop experience. And he's going to be talking Rams football with you and whatever else you want. Trust me, guys, you won't regret it. That's the Golden Ram Barbershop. All right. So, in this part of the show is normally when we preview the game, but we kind of been previewing the game the whole time. But we should talk about the Saints a little bit without just, you know, all the Rams stuff added in. This is a team that. Best record in the league, thirteen and three. Home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Sean, Sean Payton and Drew Brees are six and zero in the playoffs together as a team. But you look at who they played. Uh, a lot of those games are games that they really should have won, with no problem. The toughest game they played since that era began at home in the playoffs was in two thousand ten against um, Brett Favre and the Vikings, who were a talented team that year. Obviously, Adrian Peterson out there. That was probably the hardest game they played. So we might be the best team that have gone into the Super Bowl during the Sean Payton era. But they've struggled a little bit over the past couple of weeks, you know, as have we. Uh, obviously, they were able to pull out a couple more wins than we did. But, you know, weird wins against a weird win against Carolina, 12 to 9, uh, a loss to Dallas down the stretch, a, a good win against Pittsburgh. Um, but even last week, against the Eagles, a 20-14 to win. It's kind of uncharacteristic for how the Sovereigns has played all year. Uh, they got down quickly, 14 and nothing. Uh, to be honest, if Nick Foles is a better quarterback, the Eagles probably win this game after that start. Uh, but here we are. We got the Saints. How do you feel about the Saints, you know, heading into this game? You know, do you think they're as good as they've been all year? And it, is it doable for us to be able to knock them off? Well, to add a little bit to what you said, um, I think if Carson Wentz was was playing, I, I feel like the Eagles win that game. But uh, that's true. The point. But at the same time, if Carson Wentz has been their quarterback all year, they might not be in the playoffs. But I am with you. I, you don't know, man. Nick Foles kind of he did some stuff, but, but I I still don't understand how he he's doing any of this. And I don't know. I, I this game, I think they do win with Wentz, but I don't know if they'd be this far without Foles. The soul of Foles. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. To, to kind of add to that, the uh, the Saints. I feel like if, if we're going based off the last few games, this isn't the same Saints team that the Rams played. That being said, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Saints will, you know, lay down for the Rams and you know, make this an easy ball game. I think Sean Payton and this and the entire team is focusing and studying and doing everything they possibly can to be ready for this football game. And it's it's almost become a rivalry of some sort in such a short amount of time because really we're looking I mean, obviously, we're looking at not only two of the best teams in the NFC. I mean, that's already been proven. These two are the two best teams in the NFC for this year. We're we're talking about potentially the two best teams in football. And to kind of go beyond that, I would definitely say that. If we're, if we're looking at the final four, as so to speak, here, I think these two 
are far superior to the AFC side. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'm kind of overstepping a little bit, but what are your thoughts there, Steve? I I think the Patriots, uh, as crazy as it sounds, are clearly the worst team out of the three now or out of the four. Now that being said, they looked really good against the Chargers last week. You know, maybe they were just waiting for the playoffs to turn it on. Tom Brady, he hasn't looked as good as he has in the past this year, but certainly looked good on Sunday against the Chargers. But I think they're clearly the worst. And I think the Saints, I don't know. I think us and the Saints and the Chiefs today are very, very close. And I I don't think either us or the Saints could be considered head and shoulders above the Chiefs. They're a really damn good football team. Uh, They, all three of us, uh, oddly enough, kind of close out the year cold. But, you know, like us, I think they kind of own that matchup against Indianapolis, who was a good team going to that game. Uh, they're hot, and I think it's it's tough to rank all three of these teams, but I, I, I think the Chiefs are right there with us, and I think the Patriots are a step below all three of us, which <laughs> I love saying that. I love saying that out loud and on the record on this podcast, and I hope it doesn't come back to bite me in the ass in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. But yeah, you know, I, I, I would agree with you that the Chiefs are are a really good football team. But I just feel like there's just such you know, such so much talent between, you know, the Rams and the Saints that it's hard to ignore that these two are, you know, the best in football. And that's why like for me, I, I've been telling everyone that whoever wins the NFC wins the Super Bowl, in my opinion. You know, I, I really feel that strongly about these two teams. And I've said it from for a long time now that I feel like the team that will give the Rams the biggest problem in the playoffs is going to be the Saints. And I think we're going to see that this this Sunday. We're, we're going to see that the Rams are going to struggle with this team because there's just so much talent. But I will say that despite having this, uh, you know, key matchups against each other, I think that the Rams are, are a much different team than what the saints have planned. You have played against, you know, I, I think that they won't be ready to be honest. Because this is this is a much different team, in my opinion. Uh, I, I really don't see this this as the same Rams team in, in Week Nine in a couple of different ways. But I, I think that the Rams have become better uh, in a couple of different areas, and I think that's going to be the difference. The so obviously we got some new blood in as well. Akita leaps back. Uh, Dante Fowler, we traded for him. Uh, you're. Not that he's been unreal this year, but you replace him with Matt Long. You replace Matt Longacre with Dante Fowler. That's a clear upgrade. And then, of course, um, our beloved C.J. Anderson is also in the mix. Just it's another foil into a great offense. I don't. Did Cooper Cup play in that game against the Saints? Uh, he, did. he did. He did. I believe yeah. he started becoming injured around that point. I, I don't think that was when his season-ending injury happened, but I, I think. Uh... Well, actually, it might have been. Now that I think about it, it honestly, it could have been his first game back too, or what when he was coming back from the injury. I think was what it was. Um, yeah, he didn't play the whole game. That much I know. Yeah, 
So that's who we lost since then. Uh, the Saints, more or less, same group of guys. Uh, losing Sheldon Rankin is a big loss for them. But you know, this you mentioned the rivalry aspect, and this is kind of a rivalry renewed. You know, when I was a kid, when I first started, started watching the Rams, I th- I thought the Saints were our biggest rival uh, during that '99 to '01 stretch. Saints had a good team, actually beat us in the playoffs in 2000. Um, so it's nice to see this kind of coming back being a rivalry and. I'd love to see the Rams come out on top in this one. Over the last few years, it's 1-1, so this is kind of obviously the highest-stakes matchup, and it'll kind of settle the winner of who's been the better team over the past two years. But, yeah, man, I mean, before... I guess we have... We're, going, we're kind of going long, but we have to bring this up. The last thing we'll talk about before we get to our predictions is maybe the most important thing for the Rams in this game. That's Jared Goff. I mean, he wasn't asked to do a lot on Sunday or Saturday night. He didn't have to. He got us to win. Didn't really make any mistakes to lose us this game. But it's been a weird couple of weeks for Jared Goff since that bye, since that unreal performance against the Chiefs. He's sharpened up a little bit since that Eagles game. But are you confident that if the Rams need passing to win this game, that Goff will be able to do it? That's kind of a difficult question to answer because it, at this point, if if it's comparing, you know, if, if it's going to come down between Drew Brees and Jared Goff, I'll be 100% honest. I'd be I'd rather be in, in Drew Brees' corner than Jared Goff. But do I think Jared Goff can step up? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, just based on what I've seen the past few weeks now, you, you can make the argument that, you know, him playing against the Niners and the and the Cardinals, you know, that's really not saying much. And you're absolutely right. But if you really look and dissect the tape, when Jared Goff did, at, uh, when, when, you know, Sean McVay did ask Jared Goff to step up, he did. You know, he he made I if I recall correctly, there was like three passes that I could recall where I, I'm just thinking to myself, what the hell did he do? But, you know, it happens, including Drew Brees. I've seen it on a number of occasions, especially in recent weeks. In fact, the last last game, there was quite a few passes of Drew Brees that I thought was was kind of questionable. So it does happen, you know, this, especially now against, you know, really talented defenses. But, you know, in Jared Goff's case, I think, you know, the addition of C.J. Anderson really does help him out a lot. You know, you mentioned, you know, the pass blocking that he brings. You mentioned, uh, you know, the added running dimension that it provides him. It's essentially another weapon that is always nice to have. And I, I think with with Goff, he will essentially start to become more comfortable now that he, you don't need to rely on him completely. And and I, I will say that especially after the Chiefs game, I think McVay did also have a hand in in uh, Goff's kind of regression a little bit. You know, I think they that McVeigh kind of relied a little bit too much 
on golf from time to time. And I, and that's part of his aggressive nature. So a lot of this will also depend on if McVay can hold back a little bit, if he could just calm down and start to think a little bit more um, ground game than instead of going through the air. And I think that's what's going to make the difference. I think the coach that plays a little bit more balanced will win this game. And I'm hoping, especially if if last game was any indicator, I'm hoping that McVeigh kind of grasps that concept to become a little bit more balanced, especially if the ground game is actually working. You you gotta go with a balanced offense unless we get down quick and knock on what we don't. You have to go with that balanced offense because Goff, you know, he hasn't been playing like he did before the bye. And that's fine. We've shown last week that we can win without it. And when you when you have the run game like this, it'll take the pressure off the pass. Uh, I think he misses Cooper Cup a lot, even though the other guys have picked up the slack, uh, particularly Josh Reynolds. But I think when when he is able to get some time, he'll make the throws that we need him to make. And I am kind. Of, we have to be confident at this point. I I think you know. He had some bad moments in that Saints game last time, but he willed us back into that game. He put the team on his back, so to say, and brought us back down from 14 to 35 and got us back to a tie game. That's It was a nice, nice run in that game by Jared Goff to get us back into it. And ultimately, we ended up losing. He didn't play great at the end of the game on the last drive, but so be it, man. I have faith. I, I trust him. I think he's cut down on the turnovers since since that Eagles game, especially since that Bears game. But I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic about Jared Goff, and I think if Sean McVay sticks to the game plan of trying to get this running game going and opening things up so that he can have some time to breathe back there and throw the ball, that'll benefit him greatly. But it's prediction time, Johnny. And I'm, I'm going to go first. All right? And I don't normally go first, but this is a game where the Saints – Drew Brees is 40 years old. This could be his, one of his last hurrahs. He's poised to make a run into the Super Bowl. He's The Saints have a really good team, a lot of good offensive players. Since since week one in games that Drew Brees has played, they've lost one game. And they're the favorite in this game, and they deserve to be. But you know what, man? I didn't come this far to pick the fucking Saints to go to the Super Bowl. I am not picking the goddamn Saints to beat us. We have two 100-yard rushes from last week. We have a, we have the hottest coach in the NFL, figuratively, maybe even literally. And you know what? We have a defense that has finally found themselves it, with Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald leading that run defense with the key to leave getting that pass defense back into a position where it should be. And hopefully the X factor is Marcus Peters, who may come out and get MVP of the Gumbo Bowl. I am going with a 31 to 27 victory for the Los Angeles Rams to return to the Super Bowl. First time since they've been in LA since the 80s. Who you got? Well, that wasn't very saintly of you, you know. <laughs> um, so I personally feel like at this point after observing both teams, both playoff wins, I feel like the Rams are the better team. I really do. 
now it's time for them to prove it because, you know, they did lose to the Saints earlier this year. And I I think that there's enough talent on this team to win this game. So I have the Rams winning. And kind of the scary thing is that my prediction was very similar to yours, too. I had the Rams also scoring 31 points, but I have the Saints scoring 24 points instead of 27. So I don't care either one I'd be okay with. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's hope, man. All right. Hopefully we're not back here next week talking about uh, not the Rams in the Super Bowl. And it's doable. And the pieces are there. Let's hope they can get it done. Uh, real quick, and we we got to wrap up, but uh, who you got coming out of the AFC? Uh, I think it, I think we both have the Kansas City Chiefs uh, coming out of the AFC. And I, I think most of the NFL, uh, you know, other than the New England area, want the Chiefs to win this game also. Good so God, please. <laughs> So I, I do see both the Rams and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl in Atlanta. The fact that like three to two two and a half days ago that Eagles Patriots was still on the table disgusts me. But yeah, I'm going with the Chiefs too. Um, I although if we if we win and we get the Patriots, the revenge angle would be kind of fun. Uh, it could be Brady's first and last Super Bowls against the same team. But everyone in the world would love a Chiefs Rams rematch because that was the best game of the year and I would love to see that again and I hope we do. All right guys, uh don't forget to follow Rams Talk on Twitter at Talk Rams and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rams Talk. Hit us up in the Rams Talk room if you're there. Uh let us know what you think about the show, anything we said that was stupid or smart, whatever. And you can find me on Twitter at Steve Barrow. You can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny five not six don't forget to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, Spotify. You know where we're at, guys. Uh, this has been the Butting Heads Podcast. For Johnny Gomez, I'm Steve Ribeiro. Let's get a Rams win on Sunday. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. DC police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.